The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 200 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Uh, before we get into this week's special episode, we do want to thank three new reviewers. Uh, their Apple podcast listener names are hashtag ankle, Briggs McBriggs, and Justin Roberry. Thank you to all three of you for your five-star reviews and your very kind words and and uh, kind of fun to have Justin Roberry coming to us out of Okinawa, Japan. So uh, just good, good stuff. We really appreciate all the five-star reviews. It helps us so much to be found. And this is our 200th episode. Hard to believe we made it to episode 200. Uh, we started more than four years ago, almost four and a half years ago now. And before we get into uh, this week's episode and conversation, I do really want to sincerely say thank you. Thank you to so many of you who listen every single week, who send us messages uh, via email or on social media. We're so grateful for all of you as our listeners and the support that we've gotten. And especially so many of you have reached out to our guests. And I get feedback from past guests saying they had such a, a just amazing experience that listeners have reached out to them, have bought their books or seen their movies or have just written to them to let them know what their conversation meant to them. Thank you so much for all of you for supporting us across these 200 episodes. And I do need to especially thank two people who make this show happen. The first is Gene Chittister, our producer. Gene is tireless, and what a blessing it is to get to work with him. He's the guy who finds all of our guests and does all the scheduling, and I just love Gene. He's an amazing man, and I'm so grateful that uh, I get to have him uh, working on the show with me. We have such a good time putting this all together. And then also Skylar Fleming, who is such an incredible young man, does all of our social media. Thank you so much, Skylar. Skylar is a tremendous soul. He's got a great story. We've interviewed actually both of these men uh, have had their own episodes. And Skylar really has been upping our game on social media, doing flashbacks and doing different kinds of posts. And we're just so grateful for you, Skylar. So thank you to my my two partners in all of this. And what a blessing it is to be able to share so many awesome stories. And before the show even started, uh, I had a conversation with my special guest uh, today on the show, who he's been on the show before, Jason Bringhurst. Welcome back. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So Jason is one of my dearest friends in life. We are former business partners, very, very good friends like brothers and uh I remember talking to Jason going, I think I might want to do this little podcast thing. And uh, you remember those conversations, Jason? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so Jason now has picked up the ball and we've shared before. Jason had a blog called the Rocky Mountain Sunshine uh, blog. I should have looked up what mm -hmm. episode number you were, but you can go back and just search for Jason Bringhurst. You can hear his life story and uh, he's done such amazing things. And then he turned that into a podcast for a while. But Jason now has a new podcast that we're really excited to promote. And so for our 200th episode, we're going to do something a little bit different today. And that is that uh, we're going to talk to Jason a little bit about his podcast, and then we're going to share a special episode. And I'll tell you who that guest is on his episode in just a second. But first off, 
Jason, tell us about your new podcast. Oh, thank you, Sean. So the new podcast is uh, called the Go Ye Forth podcast, and um, it's uh, a podcast that talks with returned missionaries about their their experiences. And uh, but but I, I've just got to recognize though, Sean, two hundred episodes. I mean, I am like blown away. I'm so excited about that. Uh, and that represents crazy. Like, that represents like what ten thousand editing hours. <laughs> 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 try not to think about the editing hours, but uh, it was a lot. It's been a lot yeah. of time, but thank you, Jason. Yeah, yeah. You've been so supportive through the whole process, but uh, yeah, yeah, I never thought we'd get to two. We almost didn't get to 200 episodes. We quit the show for a little while, but, uh, but wonderful to have 200 episodes under our belts, but you're cruising right along toward it. Uh, so tell us a little well, more about go ye forth and, and how did you get the idea for this podcast? So um, the, the very first thing that happened is during COVID, I uh, decided to have a um, a family reunion, like a virtual family reunion. And I went through and I interviewed my uncles and uh, they, they told me these great stories about their missions. And then afterwards, I was like, I should have recorded that. That was like really <laughs> neat. <laughs> and, uh, and so that kind of planted the seed. And then, uh, you know, I wrapped up my other podcast and I took some time off and I was really trying to figure out you know, what I was going to do. I didn't feel like I was going to continue on with the Rocky Mountain Sunshine podcast. I wanted to do something different. Uh, and we had several conversations and, you know, I was praying about it. Nothing really felt right. I had kind of considered uh, doing like uh, five minute uh, mission stories. And I thought, well, that's going to require a lot of guests and a lot of work. And <laughs> how, how do I, you know, get multiple guests for every show? Right. And, uh, and then one day we were brainstorming. And you were the brain, and I was a storm, and <laughs> and, uh, and you you suggested uh, you know what if you interviewed people about their missions, and that that just felt right, and so you know it kind of quickly you know came came together and and uh, uh, just just launched it you know this this year, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know we both have I think a passion for missionary work, and for sure I, I think that you know through our our careers we've tried to represent the church well i think that people that know us that are maybe not members of the church might think that you have to be really good at puns if you uh are a member of the church <laughs> or no at least doubt, corny right? jokes <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know i think you know my my blog and and uh podcast rocky mountain sunshine it had a, a definite you know purpose of sharing faith and and so you know i i've i've launched this and it's it's been a, a blast talking to people about their missions you know it's something that i have a passion for and i've really enjoyed it it is so awesome and by the way this shows my my awesome brain i forgot that you and i that i had originally brought that up <laughs> but i had thought about this idea for a long time i think it's it's well needed and you know every time i listen to one of your episodes uh I get excited about missionary work again. You know, I hear these stories yeah. and, and uh, for our, we're going to sh- play one of your episodes, but for our listeners right now, if you know, you, you may by now, if you've been listening a long time, you may have heard all my mission stories, but <laughs> I'm actually, uh, well, sort of the first step, there's an intro episode, right. but if you look for episode number two, it's actually me telling stories from my mission and how I ended up going. One of the things I love Jason is while while we get to kind of brush over usually a mission as part of it. Now, some of our episodes, 
the mission plays a bigger role. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking of T- uh, Tanner Hutchins, for example, where he went in and out of his mission four times. And uh, yeah. but usually, you know, it's a part of someone's life. You get to really yeah. focus. So, what are some things you've learned about missionary work since you've started doing the podcast? Um. You know, uh, one thing that surprised me is how many people uh, said that it was not a plan to go on a mission, mm-hmm. that uh, it was something that happened, you know, in between their uh, graduating or maybe their senior year, um, maybe during college. Um, a lot of people, it just wasn't on their radar. And almost everybody says that they wish that they had prepared more. <laughs> For, for the mission. Um, <laughs> sure. And, uh, you know, but uh, another thing is that, and I've tried to, I try and stay really positive on the podcast, but one of the things that a lot of people have said too, is that they, they were not prepared that missions were going to be hard. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I want to include a little bit about that, that, you know, there, there are struggles, you know, missionaries are not a piece of cake, but the, the end reward is so, you know, great. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that, there are some very, uh, very common things that all missionaries go through, and and then you know there are very unique uh, experiences. I I had a uh, Weldon Kitchen on who you know opened up Taiwan was the first mm, one of four, yeah that was four a great episode yeah that that went to Taiwan. So obviously his experiences are going to be very different. Um, but uh, you know overall, I think that uh, everyone has just some gems that they take away from, from the mission. And it's, it's just been awesome. You know, my, I have obviously an overriding purpose is to, to help bring, you know, people into Christ. I mean, that's, that's what our, our mission is in life. Right. A couple things that, you know, I hope from, from the podcast is that people, like you said, who served a mission will kind of have that, that spirit of missionary work rekindled and that, you know, they will, uh, you know, have have fond feelings and memories come up. I know that even when I'm, you know, d- discussing it with uh, guests, that I have a flood of memories that come back from my mission. And then the other thing is that you know I know that my demographic is not the uh, you know high school senior, but you know if uh, people are like me, a lot of times I have my kids in the car while I'm listening to to podcasts, right. and and you know if if that can also help spark an interest in in missionary work. You know, then those are kind of the two things that I think really that this, you know, this podcast can can really uh, do do a lot of good. But uh, yeah, I you know I think that uh, everyone everyone has challenges on their mission, and surprisingly, you know, there are different challenges. Some people really struggle with the language. Some people language comes easy, and and it's getting along with people. Some people are scared to talk to people, and and sure, and uh, but. Overall, um, it's it's just been neat seeing how the Lord really um, caters to every person's abilities and blesses them abundantly when they act in faith and, and serve a mission. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I love the podcast. I've listened to all the episodes, and and I'm just a huge fan of it. And again, it sparks that excitement. But I love that it's also very real. And then we talk about challenges on the show. You you talk about challenges people have in their missions. I watched the church put out uh, a video called Called to Serve uh, right mm-hmm. before you and I were mission age. And I watched that thing over and over and got <laughs> caught up in the music of it and thought it's all going to be just like that. And you yeah. get out to the, the field <laughs> and it's not. And uh, 
But then in so many ways, it's so much better at the same time. And what I love is you've run the gamut between younger guests and, and again, quite a bit older. And right. so to hear how the mission has changed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from people talking about discussions or opening missions or things like that, you know, people talk about those things to today. It's, it's wonderful. So we're going to share... Uh, a recent episode that you had with our listeners right now. This is what we've chosen to do for the 200th episode. Tell us who your guest is on this episode. My, my guest is actually someone uh, you connected me with. Uh, he's fantastic. Garth Smith, um, who a lot of people know because of his just wonderful music. But uh, he has such an amazing mission story to tell. And I'm so glad that uh, I was able to talk to him. So it's Garth Smith. Uh, I I love Garth Smith. You and Garth being two of my favorite people in the world is the perfect one for us to share here on our podcast. And our hope is, uh, you know, in the reviews and in the messages that I get from people, so many people say, oh, I'm always looking for uplifting content. So whenever we can share uplifting content, uh, we get really excited to do so. And I got to say, you know, Garth Smith is just one of my favorite human beings on the planet. I love him so much. And and uh, he's just an amazing, and on top of being like remarkably talented, just I've, yes, I've gotten sure. to go to, to his home, as a matter of fact, and spend some time in Arkansas with him and uh, gotten to meet with him a few times. And he's just an incredible soul. So excited yeah. to share this with you. But uh, if people want to find your podcast after this, which they will, what's the best way to find the podcast? You know, uh, we're on all the platforms, so just search for Go Ye Forth Podcast, and we're on uh, Stitcher, uh, we're on Spotify, we're on Anchor, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, we have a Facebook page to Go Ye Forth Podcast. Go Ye Forth Podcast. Uh, go check it out. And Jason, thanks so much for joining us on the 200th episode. This, is, <laughs> uh, this has been a lot of fun, and it's going to be fun to share this, and I know our listeners are going to love it. So without any further ado, here is Garth Smith and Jason Bringers on the Go Ye Forth podcast. Thanks, Sean. Welcome to the Go Ye Forth podcast, where we hear inspiring stories from returned missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have served all across the globe. I am your host, Jason Bringhurst. Hello, everyone. On today's show, we get to meet Garth Smith. Now, I imagine that most of the time when Garth is invited to speak on a podcast, he's there to talk about his music. You know, he is a a well-known artist. He is the recipient of the 2019 Inspirational Artist of the Year Award. Uh, He's released five studio albums and is working on another one. He has reviews in the Deseret News and LDS Living and has done a lot of collaborations with other uh, LDS artists and has done arrangements for Light the World. And, you know, I'm I'm probably not doing him justice with all the work that he's done in the music field, um, but uh, you can do just a quick search on YouTube for Garth Smith Music, and you'll find tons of videos and just uh, beautiful music. I have a favorite Spotify list uh, called Sunday Music, and he has so many different albums and so much music that you can add to that. And it's just great to have uh, for a Sunday drive or just to have uh, some nice Sunday music going. And uh, so I I would suggest you, you look look up his music. It's just beautiful. However, we really don't even get into any of that in the interview. What we do talk about is his service as a full-time missionary in the Arizona Holbrook Navajo Speaking Mission. Garth served from 1979 to 1981. And in my Missionary Minute, I talk about having a little fun on the mission. 
So let's get to it. Well, welcome to the show, Garth Smith. It is so great having you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. You know, uh, I know that uh, many of the listeners will know your music, but let's get to know you a little bit. Um, Can you tell us uh, where you're from and maybe a little bit about your family and where you grew up? Absolutely. Um, So I was born and raised in a small town in Utah. It was called Brigham City, uh, which is about 50 miles north of Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a town of maybe, well, when I was there, it was probably about 10, 12,000 people. Um, Probably... Uh, 80% Latter-day Saints, if not more. Uh-huh. <laughs> With a name uh, like so, Brigham City, sure. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's definitely a, a Latter-day Saint influence town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your family. What, what, did you have a big family? Oh, okay. um, I was, uh, I'm number six in okay. a family of seven children. Oh, wow. And, okay. and my parents... Um, this is an amazing thing. I didn't really appreciate this when I was a kid, but my mom had seven kids in nine years. Oh my goodness. Wow. I, I know. I, I think about that now. And I'm like, <laughs> How did she do that? Uh, we were just stair step kids, you know? Yeah. And uh, she had four girls in, in a row and then three boys in a row. And I'm number, I'm number six out of seven. Wow. Yeah. Hand-me-downs, um, powdered milk, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> cloth diapers, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I remember my mom had uh, the the laundry out in the back with a clothesline, you know, drying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was fun and interesting, but like I said, it didn't, it, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it back then, but now yeah. I'm just in awe that, that she did that. And, um, but it was a great experience growing up in, in Brigham city. I, I yeah. had a great neighborhood, um, people that I love uh, very much and, just a, you know, gospel centered, uh, raising for me Mm -hmm. and, uh, just love that area. I'd love to go back and visit when I can. Yeah. That's a neat area with a beautiful temple now too. Yes, that is right. Yes. So would you say that your family was very missionary oriented as you were growing up? Well, we had a really interesting dynamic in my family. My father was, was totally inactive. Okay. And so my mother um, was kind of like the spiritual rock of our family. And, and she was the one that would gather the seven kids together and take us to church every oh, Sunday. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so she really had a, a spiritual influence on, on all of us. And it was really amazing to me. I mean, this is really, I mean, I, I find this amazing is that uh, I mean, each one of us, each one of the seven kids are active and, mm-hmm. Um, the three boys went on missions. Every, every one of us have been married in the temple. And, and I, I give that, I attribute that to the, the influence of my mother yeah. and just the, the amazing person that she was. My father, eventually, um, when he got into his later years of life, he's passed away, but mm-hmm. in his later years of life, um, to our joy and happiness, he returned to activity. Oh, wonderful. And you mentioned the temple in Brigham City. He actually mm-hmm. would go quite a bit. And and um, I just remember, you know, the uh, weeks leading up to his passing, he talked to each of us in the hospital and, and begged our forgiveness and for not being there spiritually during his life. And, and it, you know, it's just a sweet, tender moment. And, yeah. um, but 
yeah, I think that he he left this world in, in good graces with, mm-hmm. with God and with our family. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's that, but that's that's the way it was growing up. Well, that's wonderful. And it's, it's that, that that's the gospel in, in action from start to finish. You know, what yeah. what what a what a great uh, uh, an example that you have in, in, in both your mother and father. That's that's awesome. So for you, was it always a plan to serve a mission? I had some very spiritual experiences as a young boy, as actually as a child, that mm-hmm. shaped my spirituality and um, very powerful experience when I was only five years old that mm-hmm. um, I felt the the um, the influence of the Holy Ghost in, in my life. And, mm-hmm. um, and because of that experience, I was all in mm-hmm. as a little child. And also because of that experience, and I've shared this with other people, um, you know, when little children get up and share their testimonies, mm-hmm. I really listen because I know that because of the experience that I had when I was five, um, that children have the ability to feel the Holy Spirit just every bit as much and as powerfully as adults. I didn't un- really understand it as I do as an adult, but I felt it. And it was just as powerful as when I feel the Spirit as an adult. And so I really, I really do pay attention when children bear their testimony. Yeah, that's a really good point. Really, a a good lesson to to learn that um, no matter the age, uh, anyone can feel the spirit and 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 get a, a a testimony and a witness of of Jesus Christ. And as a kid, that's something you remember. You, you remember right. those. And so, in answer to your question, I I always just felt like the desire to go on a mission. I remember. Mm-hmm singing with my next door neighbor, Brian, uh, in sacrament meeting, we must've been eight and we sang the song. I hope they call me on a mission uh-huh. together. And, and I just remember feeling in that music, the desire I really, really wow. wanted as a young boy to serve a mission when I grew a foot or two. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <I> love it. <laughs> and so it's always, it was always part of the plan. Yeah. So I, I was, I was all in. That's so awesome. So what was it like when you received your mission call? Kind of a funny story. So I mentioned that I grew up in Brigham City, which was a large Latter-day Saint population. I went to my first year of college at BYU Provo, uh-huh. which is like 94% or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, I, I had just been surrounded by members of the church. And so mm-hmm. in preparation for my mission, um, I went to school at BYU my freshman year. So an, an entire two year, two semesters. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have exposure to um, a situation where I was in the minority. And so Hmm. that summer I served, I I started my mission in August of 1979. Mm -hmm. And so, but in preparation for that, I um, got a job at the Grand Canyon. And so I was working uh, like as a bus boy, but Uh I had exposure and opportunity to talk with people all over the world as Mm -hmm. they came to visit the Grand Canyon. I, I remember talking with people from Israel on, who were who were there and talking to them about the gospel. And, mm-hmm. and it was just a really cool experience for me. Um, I processed my papers through the Kanab stake there mm-hmm. in Southern Utah. And um, there was just a small group of Latter-day Saints that worked there from BYU. I was mm-hmm. one of them. We were a very close group. We had so much fun together. I like going to Lake Powell and, you know, yeah. and, um, Anyway, I remember standing outside at a payphone. I had received my mission call Mm -hmm. and I was surrounded by these BYU students and everybody was all excited for me to open my call. And I'm I'm on the payphone, (laughs) you know, I didn't have cell phones. I was on the payphone talking to my parents 
opening the letter and I opened it up and it said, Elder Smith, you are hereby called to serve in the Arizona Holbrook Navajo Mission. Wow. And I just looked up and I thought, I'm already here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in the boundaries of my mission when I that opened it. That is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and th- this is interesting. Uh, when I was 14, I distinctly remember we had a, a uh, that mission, the Arizona Holbrook Navajo speaking mission doesn't exist anymore. Um, hmm. It's it's now covered by, I think, one of the Phoenix missions or something in English speaking. But okay. um, I remember distinctly as a 14 year old boy, there was a, a young man <clears throat> older than me and he gave his missionary homecoming report and he went to that mission. <laughs> I remember hmm. sitting in sacrament meeting and thinking, ah. Oh, of all the places in the world, I, I wouldn't want to go. It's, I, I don't know why I felt that way, but I just remember thinking, I, I would not want to go there. And when I opened up my mission call, it was like, oh, this is the place that I didn't want to go. <laughs> and uh, it was a really horrible attitude. But, you know, yeah. it just it just took, just took a, a few weeks. I mean, just immediately when I was there, yeah. I fell in love with the people. I just love the Navajo people. I still do. That's and my awesome. attitude, my bad attitude changed and I, and I just saw what a lovely, wonderful people, the Navajo people are. That's awesome. So then did you go to the Provo MTC? I did. I was okay. there for two months and, and uh, I was called to be a Navajo speaker. And so, um, mm-hmm. which is a very difficult language. Right. And, and so I got the rudimentary, um, you know, basic mm-hmm. understanding of the language. Did they have many instructors there who, who spoke? They did. Have a whole uh, okay. Well, they had. They were former. They were return missionaries. Uh-huh. Um, we had one who was a native uh, Navajo, and and so he was very helpful with the accent and you know mm-hmm. the speaking part. And but even the um, the other guys who who were um, you know they 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 were non non natives were excellent speakers. Mm. They had kept up their language and. Um, yeah, I was. It was. It was a good experience. That's awesome. So uh, I live here in Port Angeles, Washington, and um, they actually uh, teach the Clallam language here. It's it's a, a tribal language of the, the, the local tribe, and some of the street wow. signs are actually in in Clallam also. They're in dual English and, and Clallam. Um, wow. It looks extremely different. Like there's no parallels, you know, to to English. Is is no. there a written Navajo language also? Yes, there was a, the Navajo language, and this is kind of a misconception uh, because a lot of people think that there that it isn't. But uh, a, I think it was a Catholic priest that in the 1930s he kind of sat down and uh, wrote down the language. And so okay. when I served, when um, the church actually came out with a a small selection of chapters from the Book of Mormon and, hmm. and published it in Navajo. Okay, and. Uh, in the last, I think, two years ago, mm-hmm. um, several of the people that I served on my mission, uh, Native Navajo uh, brothers, uh, served on a committee, and the church published the full Book of Mormon in the Navajo language. Oh, wow. And Incredible. It was published two years ago, and it's just so cool to see that. That is awesome. So absolutely cool. <laughs> well, how so, was your MTC experience? I love the MPC. I, yeah. I just, I just really did. I loved the, uh, my favorite part of it was the cultural classes. Oh yeah. And, uh, and we just had really good instructors makes a big di- difference to have teachers that are enthusiastic and, 
and knowledgeable. Um, and my, I remember my culture class was, he was very funny and just yeah. made it enjoyable, you know, <laughs> and, and um, there weren't that many Navajo speakers. And so okay. our branch in the MTC was combined with Koreans and uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. people going to all, all these different countries. Yeah. And we were just a small, a small part of that. But okay. yeah, I, I really, I really loved the MTC. I, yeah. I, um, I enjoyed the devotionals, having the general authorities come. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I remember seeing people, <laughs> I remember once I had, had gone to lunch and I came out in kind of in the lobby area and there was this missionary who was on the phone and he was just in tears. He was just crying and I could hear the conversation. He was calling his parents and he was just saying, I got to get out of here. You know, and it was just so sad to uh, see that to me. And, and I, he just wasn't ready for the yeah. experience. And uh, I, I just remember my heart just broke for this young man mm-hmm. um, because I, because of the experience that I, I felt like I was having a, an amazing spiritual journey being yeah, there. I mean, great. it was not easy. I mean, when you, when you're done, when you jump into a language like Navajo, I mean, it is really, <laughs> Really I can't imagine. I, I I served in France, and so I learned learned French. But there's some type of base, you know, that is similar at least. Uh, that there are words at least, you know, oh, here and right, there that that right. you at least have some type of commonality. But but uh, yeah, I mean, you're starting from ground zero with Navajo. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it was. Um, a lot of memorizing. Yeah, we taught the discussions back then. I mean, this was uh, I served from 1979 to 1981. Okay, and and at that time we taught memorized discussions, uh-huh. and which was, you know, the, the method now is much better. I mean, right. you, you teach according to the spirit and according to how whatever is in your heart, and that and uh, but we didn't do that. <laughs> we we would teach these discussions that were memorized and yeah, just a lot of memor- memorization in the in the MTC. So when you left the MTC, were there many missionaries that went with you down to Arizona, or were you the only one? Oh no, no. We well, we had a small group. It was okay. I think we had probably seven or eight. Okay. Um, yeah, my first companion was from Barnwell, Alberta, and I remember oh, yeah. Elder, Elder Nielsen. He, I, I just loved him. We we got along. I, I, we felt a connection right away, and that you know that's a big part of a, a successful experience too. For sure, is is having that that feeling of uh, support from your companion. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt that with him and, and I, and hopefully he felt that with me. I, I think we had a good, you know, synergy together that yeah. way. Yeah. I've, I've thought many times that, uh, um, when, when I served 19 was the, the typical age when, when missionaries would go out and I actually didn't uh, go out until I was 20, but I ended up with this companion that we became lifelong friends. And I just thought, you know, God, <laughs> God knew that who I needed, uh, to really help me to to really get engaged and, and get my feet planted into this mission. So what were your first impressions when you got there? Well, the Navajo Reservation, if you've ever been there, it's very barren, it's desert. Mm-hmm. And um, although there is some diverse um, scenery, there, there are some beautiful mountains. Um, you get into the Flagstaff area. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, the pine trees. Mm-hmm. And they have what's called the Four Sacred Mountains. And that's beautiful. Our mission was divided into English speaking, which went south of the of the Navajo Reservation into the Mogollon Rim of Arizona, which is beautiful forested areas. Hmm. But as you got onto the reservation, it it was very uh, 
very much a desert and mm-hmm. hardly any trees and um and which has its own beauty in itself i really learned to appreciate the desert the sunsets were amazing mm-hmm. um and my my first impression of the people were that they were um so kind mm-hmm. just so kind and helpful and when they and they loved it to see a white guy like me <laughs> trying to speak their language oh yeah <laughs> they actually got it you know it was kind of a cool thing because if you learn to speak their language as a white guy um word kind of got around oh and you could open doors because of your ability to speak the language and uh-huh. it really gave me an incentive to study hard and to yeah. really try by the time i finished my mission i i felt like i was I don't think that anybody can master that language in two years, mm-hmm. um, but I felt that I was proficient in a religious discussion. That's great. And, you know, it, it did open doors for me. And then your mission president had uh, both English-speaking missionaries outside of the Navajo area and then uh, your uh, area where people were speaking Navajo. Is that correct? Yes. As I mentioned, our, our mission was divided into two, uh, English-speaking mm-hmm. and the Navajo-speaking. We okay. had one mission president over that. So, okay. Um, he was he was just outstanding. I, I just loved him uh, and his wife. What was his name? Don Hunsaker. Okay. And he was in the church education system. Okay. And um, my, I did have, he went home. Uh, I went home in, in August of 1981. In July of 1981, the mission president changed. Okay. changed and uh uh it was wayne b lynn was his name uh-huh. and so i only had i was only with him for one month okay but you know he left something with me that i will never forget though yeah and that was on my on my exit interview um president lynn he said you know elder smith uh he said i you know i've i've heard that you've worked hard i've heard that you've done well and and uh that's all well and good you're going to go home now, but you cannot rest on the laurels of the accomplishments of your mission. Mm. So you you have got to move forward spiritually. And he said, he said this, and I will never forget this. He said, the church will move forward either because of you or in spite of you. Wow. You decide what, what that is. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot that. And I, and I always felt a challenge in myself that I would be the kind of person that would do things that would move hopefully move mm-hmm. the church forward. And uh, so in that, you know, little brief time that I had with president mm-hmm. and he, he really affected me with that comment. Wow. I love that. Well, was it hard for you to adjust to missionary life? Uh, it was because I, what you think it's going to be and what the reality is, mm-hmm. is, is, is not always the same. It, um, I always heard the rosy pictures of, you know, the success stories. And and I Mm -hmm. always felt like all I had to do was bear my testimony and people would just break out in tears wanting to be baptized, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I came to a realization pretty quickly that, well, that's not always the case, (laughs) mostly not the case. And, um, and so it was very humbling. And uh, I, I never, got discouraged to the point where I ever like felt like I wanted to quit. I mean, I, I but mm-hmm. I, I, I went through the, the difficult times of learning how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I felt that my testimony was strong enough and the um, experiences that I had before my mission gave me a strength and a, and a determination 
to do the best that I could. And so, um, and, you know, growing, learning to love the people, that was the most important thing. I, I, this is kind of a funny story. I remember I, I had a, my brother I had a friend that got back to, uh, from his mission, like the week that I left and, uh-huh. and he came to my, to my uh, open house in my home. And he said, he said, Garth, he said, you have got to have the word baptism written on your forehead as you, <laughs> as you go through your mission. <laughs> and, you know, I, I learned that he was wrong. You know, mm-hmm. he, that's not why we're out there. I mean, we're right. out there, to, of course, to baptize those who, who do want to get baptized. But what I needed and, and uh, what I came to understand is that I needed to have the word love yeah. written on my forehead. Because it's all about learning to love the people you love who you serve. And that was the biggest lesson that I took away from that. Yeah. Um, I felt a great, I still do. I feel, I feel a great love for the Navajo people. Um, and I felt a great love from them mm-hmm. to me, you know? And so that was, a, that was a great lesson to learn as That's a missionary. Awesome. You spoke about some cultural lessons that you had in the MTC. What were some of the differences that you noticed in the culture of the Navajo people uh, compared to where you grew up in Brigham City? Well, very many. You know, I, I don't think that you could be on a more foreign mission in right in the middle of the United States. I mean, yeah. it was, the culture is different. They have their own government. They have their own police. Wow. Um, their own laws. And... You know, it's an, very much uh, at that time was very much agricultural society, um, poor, very poor people. Uh, I learned about the horrors of, of alcohol mm. and I saw families just destroyed by alcohol. Yeah. And, um, and so I gained a, a very strong testimony of the word of wisdom mm-hmm. because of the, the horrible things that I saw and the, and the way that it destroyed families. Mm. Um, culturally, they have many things that I wish our society had. For example, in the, in the Navajo culture, it is a, it is an honor to have your grandparents live with you. I mean, they, they fight over who gets to have grandparents. Wow. Um, They, they revere their elderly so much. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a, I think that's a great lesson. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's a matriarchal society. So oh, really? hmm. when they have, when, when a, when a, a person gets married, they, they, they take on the name of the, of the mother. Interesting. And they have clans. They don't have last, you know, last names, but they have mm-hmm. clans. And so, which is, which is kind of funny because uh, the traditional Navajo greeting, whenever you walk into a room, uh, it's kind of the tradition to, to walk around and shake the hand of everybody that's in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, it's kind of a standard greeting. You say your name, you say what tribe you're from or what, not, not what tribe, but what clan you're from. You have a clan mm-hmm. on your mother's side, you have a clan on your father's side. And so obviously I'm not a native American. So as missionaries, <laughs> we would make up these clans <laughs> and, and I'm about, I'm about the most albino white guy, you know, and yeah. I'm out there on the, on the Navajo reservation in the searing sun. We didn't really have sunscreen. We didn't have hats. Oh, wow. And, and I was just constantly sunburned. Constantly. Oh, no. <laughs> My face was so I would, I would uh, tell people that um, I'm elder Smith. I am from the red face clan. <laughs> it always got to laugh. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I remember uh, being on the, doorsteps and just you know rain coming down like crazy and in french 
to get a laugh, I would always say we are the soaking wet missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you got to do stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that is great. Well, uh, how did you go about finding people to teach uh, while you're on your mission? Well, it was interesting because our mission was unique because we had trucks and we didn't have a mm. lot of paved roads. Mm-hmm. And so we would drive, uh, you know, we would drive the dusty roads of the Navajo reservation, yeah. uh, tracting, looking, for, looking for people. It wasn't the traditional tracking that you think of like going door to door in a, in a neighborhood, Yeah, but it was going, driving a few miles and finding a Hogan uh-huh. and finding the people there, uh, and then driving to the next Hogan, you know, a few miles. Is, is that what they call their house? Uh, Hogan? Well, Hogan is a traditional dwelling. Oh, okay. And okay. it is a circular or, or an eight, eight, it's an eight uh, sided kind of circular shape, but it has eight uh, oh. sides to it. Uh-huh. And um, it's dug out of the ground and it's amazingly warm in the winter. It's cool in the summer. Not everybody mm-hmm. has a whole lot. I mean, they had mm-hmm. traditional homes as mm-hmm. well. Um but as we would drive up to uh, a hogan or to a, what they call them compounds, mm-hmm. where like they they live together often as in family groups, you know, which mm-hmm. again going back to how they honored their families. Yeah. Um, the the Navajo is called the missionaries gomali. That was so gomali. That mm. means Mormon, and and uh, <laughs> so we would drive up and we could we would hear this gomali gomali gom and they and they would and they would just disappear <laughs> like like just disappear. And uh, we go knocking on the door. And uh, I remember once we went knocking on the door. Um, Hello, anybody there? And I heard this little voice of a little, little child say, nobody's here. (laughs) And uh, I said, Oh, well, when you get back, will you, will you tell, tell your parents that the uh, Mormon missionaries came? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love it. Can you tell us about someone that you taught? Sure. I mean, I had I had so many spirits. You know, the Navajo people, they're they're such a faithful people. Um, very believing and which which led them to, which opened up them to have very spiritual experiences. And I can't tell you, I mean, I could I don't have enough fingers on my hands to tell you the number of times that we wouldn't go knock on a door, mm-hmm. person would open the door and say, my grandmother came to me in a dream last night wow. and said that there were going to be two young men and they have a book mm. and you need, and you need to listen to them about, you know, um, amazing. It happened, mm. you know, multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember once teaching a family, we, we worked with the Indian placement program, uh, which back in the, in the, in the seventies uh, and eighties, this was a program that was uh, fostered by Spencer W. Kimball mm-hmm. and to give children who didn't have uh, back then the opportunities for education were limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this program that was that president Kimball established would allow us, we would, we would teach children. They would um, move from their home into the homes of Latter-day Saints in Utah and California Mm-hmm. And in order to participate in that program, they would have then educational opportunities and things. Um, it, you know, it go, it, if you think about it, it goes against the gospel principle of, of being with your family. Mm-hmm. But and it was only meant to be a temporary situation. And, yeah. and it, was, it no longer 
happens now. Um, but anyway, many of our baptisms came about because of that mm-hmm. in the Indian placement program. Mm. And um, we were teaching a, a family that uh, their children were interested in going. And there was an, another, like a cousin, an uncle and, and, and cousins that were there as part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. And the, there was a, they were in the home of, a, uh, of members. Okay. And the members mm-hmm. had these book of Mormon uh, scriptural um, illustrated stories of the book of Mormon for children. Oh, yeah. yeah. Little blue books. I don't know if you ever remember mm-hmm. those. Anyway, this, this boy, he must've been nine or 10 and he wasn't a member. He picks up the book and he's look, he's thumbing through this illustrated stories of the book of Mormon. And, and he gets to the, to Lehi's dream. And we're talking in the background. And then all of a sudden we hear him say, Oh yeah. 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 And we're, we said, what do you mean? He says, I've seen this before. He goes, I have a dream. I keep having a dream about this. There's like this river of water. And, and then there's this like this mist that comes up and, you know, and he was wow. describing the dream of the tree of life of mm-hmm. Lehi's dream. And amazing. We didn't, I mean, what do you say when yeah. you hear something like that? It was just, mm-hmm. ama- I mean, uh, very spiritual uh, people. Mm-hmm very faithful people. Um, and so, I mean, just amazing experiences like that. So you're a very talented musician. Did music play much of a part during your mission? Yes. And I was so grateful that, that I had that, that, uh, skill because there weren't very many piano players on the Navajo reservation. Okay. And so I had the opportunity to share music wherever I went and whatever uh-huh. branch I was in. There weren't, there weren't any wards at that time. There's wards and stakes there now. Okay. I mean, it just brings tears to my eyes now when I go back and I see that. Yeah. Um, but I played the piano often. I, uh, I remember, um, <laughs> this was kind of a cool story. I, I remember uh, Elder Groberg and his wife, were area, I think they called them area administrators. They, mm-hmm. they, they were general authorities that covered our mission and they would come visit us often. Mm-hmm. And I remember I played um, something for a zone conference and, and sister Groberg came up to me afterwards. She said, you have got to continue this and grow this talent of yours because wow. you're going to bless people with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, uh, I happened to run into her like two years ago and at BYU, I was at a, a, a conference at BYU and I was, I, I was teaching one of the classes um, and sharing my music. Mm-hmm. I do arrangements of hymns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in attendance at this conference was Elder Goldberg and his wife. And it had been, uh-huh. uh, gosh, 30, 40 years. And I, I went up to Sister Groberg. I said, "You don't remember me," he said, "But you you uh, influenced my my music significantly mm-hmm. with the encouragement that you gave me uh, as when I was a missionary." She didn't she didn't remember me or that <laughs> experience, but uh, yeah. it was just so cool to be able to thank her for that, and yeah. it, it awesome. meant a lot to me at the time, and it motivated me. It did motivate me to um, to grow my talent. Was there any cultural Navajo influence to any of the music that you had in any of the branches where you served? Um, no, the, uh, we sang traditional hymns, but we okay. sang them in Navajo. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, the, the traditional songs and singing, you know, 
one thing that's cultural, you talked about, uh, you asked me a cultural question earlier. One of the, one of the things about the Navajo Re- reservation at that time was that a way of getting around, we only had a certain amount of miles on our, that we had to drive and we had to walk after that. And so it was very much acceptable on the Navajo reservation to hitchhike. <laughs> and I can't imagine that now. <laughs> and so we hitched hike all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember one of my first impressions when I got there was I remember this guy drove up in this great big truck. It was just like jacked up truck. And, uh-huh. and I, I got in and he had, I could tell he had this big stereo. And I think I'm thinking, <laughs> oh man, I'm excited to hear some, some music. <laughs> and he puts in a, I think it was an eight track tape back then, puts in uh-huh. this, this eight track tape. And uh, it's, traditional Navajo music, you know, when oh, you think yeah. the, the drum banging right. and the high yeah. pitch sing, singing, and he's just a young guy, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I thought, oh, I thought the only old, uh, the older people in the, yeah. you know, and it was, <laughs> it kind of caught me off guard <laughs> uh, to, to see that and to see that it was recorded and that they, yeah. that they had albums of, of this traditional music. And uh, oh, that's really uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> You didn't see that in the church, but in like uh-huh. in the church meetings, but we did sing hymns and we did sing, sing them in Navajo. Okay. What was the food like there? Um, very, very basic. Um, they, <clears throat> a lot of mutton, which is sheep uh, uh-huh. and fry bread, which is basically flour uh, and, and, you know, fried mm-hmm. <laughs> and beans and rice. Yeah, those four; those are the four food groups <laughs> of the experience. Now, the the interesting too, thing too is that there's a lot of cattle and a lot of mm. beef, and so okay. um, when they would slaughter a cow, they would eat everything, mm. <laughs> and so and they would serve that to us. And I I just kind of stopped asking what I was eating. Because <laughs> I, one time I asked and I, and it wasn't very, it was, yeah. it was something that I would never have considered eating before. <laughs> you, better know? you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And so I was better that I didn't know. Yeah. And so I just stopped asking. Uh, <laughs> you think there's anything that maybe uh, is misunderstood about the Navajo people that, that uh, someone who has not lived with them is maybe misunderstood? I think that some people could could maybe misunderstand by by seeing them thinking that they're not very friendly, hmm. which is the furthest thing from the truth. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of times, the Navajos would um, would be wary until they trusted you, hmm. and once you entered into that circle of trust, then it was like total change, you know, mm-hmm. and just love, acceptance. And, um, I mean, you can imagine with the, the history of the, uh, the Native Americans in the country, you know, I mean, right. uh, how they felt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is interesting because I just lived in the culture. I, I became, I was a Navajo speaker and we were out in the middle of the reservation. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, we didn't see white people at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I had this experience <laughs> where I was driving with my companion down this dirt road, this remote dirt road. And, and coming the other way was a car and it was a couple of white people. And I remember thinking to myself, what are those white people doing out here? <laughs> and they went, wait a minute. I am. <laughs> I just got so immersed in, in that, 
in in the culture. Um, that is funny. <laughs> it, was, it was it was kind of a funny experience. Were there any challenges on your mission? And if so, how did you overcome them? Well, the language was the biggest mm. the biggest challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and and also um, dealing with the alcoholism. Uh, it's very difficult to be, be to be teaching somebody who's progressing, mm-hmm. and then they fall into the clutches of alcoholism and and are mm-hmm. unable to continue. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, um, it, it, you know that was a that was a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the alcohol is interesting. It is it's illegal on the reservation? Oh, really? Oh. But as soon as you get to the border of the reservation, it's just there, there's just uh, bars all over the place and, mm-hmm. and you would just see people that were lying down in the roads passed out mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I just really it just really affected me to see that and to um, especially when we were teaching people that that would fall to that that horrible yeah. disease and, um, big, big big challenge for sure what was your favorite part about being a missionary my favorite part was just being a special witness of Christ and be able to testify of the Savior and to see the change that came into people's lives. Um, it's really interesting. I do get people that are uh, um, occasionally, I will hear from somebody who um, listens to uh, my devotionals or hears mm-hmm. my music or something and, and comments and, and, and say, I remember you on, on your mission. You're, you oh, wow. affected my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, I got a, a note from a, a, a woman who said that she served a mission and it was a family that I remember, uh, we, we baptized her mother mm-hmm. and she was just a little girl, uh, at the time. And, you know, to see that change in a family and to see the direction of a family completely do a 180 in their, in their spirituality and, and, and move toward God. It was just outstanding. It's just a, just a, an amazing experience to to participate in that, and yeah. and it was you know it's not the missionaries that convert; it's the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. and to, but to be a, a mechanism to um, to help to help to, to help make that happen mm-hmm. was just so satisfying and so um, it just it was just so rewarding to me. You know, my mission. Uh, there's many things if I can go back and do it again with the experience that I have now, there were so many things that I would do differently. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> it gave me a foundation for my yeah. life. It shaped my life. Yeah. And um, I, I am eternally grateful for the, for the two years that I had on, on the Navajo reservation and the great people that I, that I got to know mm-hmm. um, just outstanding stories of faith, people who taught me so many things, uh, my mission president also, I mean, the missionaries uh, became f- friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love so many of them. And, and it was interesting. There was, in our mission, we had like 25% of our mission were from the Polynesian islands. Oh, really? Yeah. It was just an interesting dynamic. And, uh, yeah. and I, I'll never forget this one missionary from Tonga. His name was, his mm-hmm. name was Tonga, Tonga mm-hmm. Makave Tawaki. And I just, I just grew to love this young man. He, he joined the church when he was, uh, I think, 17 years of age mm-hmm. in Tonga. His father was a Methodist minister. Mm. And, when he, and when he got baptized, he was disowned from his family. Oh, wow. And he, he would fast from the time that he got baptized. He would fast every Wednesday 
so that he could serve a mission in America. Mm. He just had that desire. He didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. That was his faith. And when he got his mission call, his call was to Tonga. And he was so disappointed. Mm. But about three or four months into his mission, our mission made a requisition to the church leaders for more Polynesian missionaries. And he was among that group that came over. And so he got to see his dream fulfilled to be able to teach um, the gospel in the United States. And yet having that little trial of faith to see if he would go on a mission to Tonga and then the Lord actually blessing him with his, his, his desires. That's neat. That's really neat. We had another, speaking of French, you know, Mm -hmm. we had another missionary from French Canada who in his patriarchal blessing said that he would, he would teach uh, his ancestors Hmm. and um, or descendants of his ancestors. And, and so when he, he thought he was going to be called to France. Mm -hmm. And so he opened up his mission and he got called to the, you know, to the Arizona Mm -hmm. Holbrook mission (laughs) and it shook his faith. I mean, he almost didn't go, Um, but he went anyway. And it turns out that one of the areas that he served in, in New Mexico was founded by French people. Oh, wow. And he found people in that city that were descendants of his ancestors. Hmm. And, you know, it's just goes to show that we don't see the big picture right. oftentimes. Right. And we have to have faith that yeah. the promises that are given to us will be fulfilled. That's beautiful. You've had this incredible experience serving a mission, uh, teaching in the Navajo language. And then all of a sudden you find yourself back in Brigham city and you're no longer a missionary. Was that change hard for you? Oh, I remember, I'll never forget the first morning that I woke up in my bed alone. There wasn't a companion in the room with me. And I, and I just felt kind of freaked out. And, you know, I, I had this missionary weirdness about me for a few months. I'm sure that, (laughs) that, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I went back to BYU uh, Uh and I don't know, I don't know how long it took me to adapt, but, uh, yeah. But I did. <laughs> Can you and, still speak uh, any Navajo? You know, I, I swore as a child that I would, if I got called to a foreign speaking mission, that I would learn the language and, and I would speak it the rest of my life. But the Navajo language, you have to live there, you right. know, in yeah. order to maintain it. Yeah. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, I don't speak as well as I used to. I can still remember many, many things about it. Uh-huh. And it's interesting that when I go visit, it's like it's funny how your brain works. I can remember phrases and, and oh, yeah. things and, and all of a sudden it starts to come back to me. But I remember, mm. I remember, yeah, very much. I, I remember parts of the discussion. I remember scriptures. Can you maybe give us a taste of what the Navajo language sounds like? I remember the parts of the first discussion we had okay, maybe at that, that time, yeah. the, uh, the memorized discussion discussions in English, they would talk to Mr. Brown. Okay. And, <laughs> and we had a, uh, we didn't have Mr. Brown. We had Mr. Begay, okay. which is a common name on the Navajo Reservation. So, Mr. Begay, so that that says, "Wow, Mr. Begay, as you think about it, is what does God look like? Does he have a body, or is he just a spirit? What do you think?" Because we had to teach people who God was. Yeah. That's that's amazing, and, and it, it that is you know a, definitely a, a unique language. I I have a, 
I don't know, a little bit of experience. I've traveled uh, throughout Europe quite a bit and I've traveled through a- Asia, but that that's a very unique language. Um, like, yeah. you know, when I'm say at an airport or something, I like to try and, you know, pick out and like, Oh, I, I think they're Norwegian, you know, or I think they're, they're uh-huh. Dutch. And, and, uh, if I heard that language, I could not, <laughs> I could not put a finger on that. That is, that is really neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I, you know, before I moved, I live in Arkansas right now and uh-huh. uh, I had lived in Southern California for the past 25 years. My company agreed to let me telecommute and work mm-hmm. remotely. And, um, my children were both married to military guys, so we couldn't really move next to them. Yeah. And so it was wide open as to where we go. And I honestly felt like Flagstaff would be the place for us to, to move mm. because yeah. I love the Navajos. And I had, I had dreams of doing charity work out on, out on the reservation. Mm. Um, but we went to Flagstaff and, and we went to all these different areas that as I traveled for music uh, that were favorite places of my wife and, and me. Mm-hmm. And every every place, the answer was no. Mm. Um, and Arkansas was never even in my on my radar. Mm-hmm. But um, my cousin uh, was serving as the mission president of the Bentonville, Arkansas mission, and he invited me okay. to come out to do a fireside uh-huh. here a couple of years ago. And I, I when I when I got here, I felt like Brigham Young entering the Salt Lake Valley. Like, <laughs> This is the place. Wow. <laughs> and the spirit just confirmed that this is where we were supposed to move. That is and, so cool. And, and here we are. And we're just loving, loving it. We have a new temple that's being built in Bentonville. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's Bentonville is kind of a gathering place for the saints. It's amazing. And there's multiple stakes, soon to be another stake. Mm. And um, headquarters of Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they recruit heavily at BYU. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, there's one town, Centerton, which which has over 50% Latter-day Saint in Arkansas. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. You know, it's it's wow. amazing. You've had a really great career, um, and then you've also really developed your uh, music talents and do firesides and different things. Uh, how has your mission played a role in all this? Oh, it's fundamental to everything that I do. And my my full time job, I work uh, for a golf company. I work, I work for Callaway Golf as a as a designer of uh-huh. uh, irons, and so music is uh, a passion. It's not my main uh, mm-hmm. source of income, mm-hmm. but uh, it's definitely a passion of of my life. Um, but the foundation. The the base, the spiritual base that I received as being from being a missionary has withstood the test of time. And I uh, it's it's given me the the habits of prayer, the habits of scripture study, the habits of seeking after and to to understand the words of the prophets. Mm -hmm. And it's given me the ability to teach, to talk to people without with confidence about the Savior and. you know, all these things, I, I, I just, I'm just so grateful for the experience that I had as a missionary. It, it, it shaped my life. Um, it gave me the, uh, the vision of to live my life in a way that I could try, that I could seek to return to live with God again, to, to find an eternal companion, to be married in the temple. You know, it, all these things 
mm-hmm. that are so important in my life. Yeah. Uh, they were shaped by my mission. And, and so I am eternally grateful for the experience mm-hmm. that I had to serve on the Navajo reservation. I mean, I learned how to love some uh, people that were, that were different from me. Mm-hmm. And what, a, what an important lesson in life that is. Oh, for sure. So what are you working on nowadays as far as your music goes? Any projects that you're working on? Well, I'm, I'm actually in the studio now recording my sixth studio album. It's going to be uh, an album of missionary, or excuse me, of uh, hymn arrangements. Uh-huh. And uh, I've, re- I've released six albums, um, and this will be the fourth album of hymn arrangements. Okay, awesome. And, and so I'm very, very excited about that. Um, about halfway, about halfway through with, with that. It's yeah. going to be released by the end of 2022. That's awesome. Uh, is GarthSmithMusic.com the best place to go to find your music and to find out what's going on with you? Yes. Uh, all of my music is stream. You know, it, it can be streamed online. Okay. Um, any of the major platforms mm-hmm. will have my music. And I'm, I'm, what I'm finding is a lot of people like to add it to their Sunday playlists mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's instrumental and it's yeah. very good background music for, for studying scriptures or for, um, you know, just enjoying the Sabbath day. And so what I find is most people are streaming it now. Yeah. There is one song that I was surprised to find, but I actually really liked it. I found a song of you, Garth Smith, playing Garth Brooks. Oh, <laughs> you must have seen my YouTube channel. I saw your YouTube channel. And I'm actually a big fan of Garth Brooks, so I thought that was really cool. Well, what's funny is that um, I've been in country bands for many, many country bands. Uh-huh. And uh, and I've had a lot of fun being named Garth. Oh, I bet. Playing yeah. in a country band. <laughs> and we would, and, I, and you know, we would joke with people say, you know, you can go home and tell your friends that you saw Garth live tonight at the VFW <laughs> in Alabama. Uh, I love it. <laughs> well, we're about at time. Um, as, as we're wrapping up, I have one last question uh, that I, I like to ask everyone. And that is, uh, what is one thing that you would want your posterity to know about your missionary service? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I would want them to know that I was very proud to be a missionary and that um, it was such a beautiful experience for me and that I would do everything in my power to encourage them to prepare, uh, to make the spiritual preparation and to go. Hmm. And whether that be a service mission or whether that be a proselyting mission, um, I I. I would want them to know that I loved bearing testimony of the Savior mm-hmm. and that um, it, as I mentioned, became the foundation of the rest of my life. And any, any um, of the joyful things that I've experienced in life are a direct result of, of both my family, the family that I was w- raised by, the teachings that I learned there and the teachings and the experiences of my mission just shaped my life and, and just so fully become so fully woven into the, my life's experiences that um, I, I would want them to know more than anything that I know that Jesus Christ lives and that he is our savior. Thank you so much. 
And thank you for your missionary service and, and for taking time to share some of the, the highlights from your mission. And I really hope that at some point, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, that I'll be able to attend one of these, these awesome firesides that you do. Yeah, and, uh, actually, my daughter uh, lives very close to you. She's on, on Whidbey Island. Oh, yeah. Her husband, that's, that's her husband's a great place. On, the, on the naval base there, yeah. the naval base there. And uh, as, as COVID, you know, winds down, I'm hoping to pick those firesides back up and, yeah. and uh, who knows, maybe, maybe I will be out there uh, to do that as I visit my daughter and work yeah. with the stake. We would love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Garth. It's been great having you on the show. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. A special thank you to Garth Smith and also my friend Sean Rapier from the Latter-day Lives podcast for connecting us. If you want to hear more about Garth's story, you should go check out the Latter-day Lives episode 20, and you'll hear a lot more about uh, Garth and his his story of uh, uh, getting into music, and uh, he's just a fantastic guy. And then also, stick around to the end of the episode, because, you know, Garth blesses a lot of people with his music, and he's allowed me to share a couple of my favorite arrangements of his, which you'll be able to hear right here on the podcast, and I think that you're going to love them. In today's Missionary Minute, Garth mentioned speaking to a young child when he was tracting, who answered and said, uh, nobody's home. <laughs> you know, that would happen to us in France every now and then. And someone would say after we knocked, personne est là, which means nobody's home. And we would say, uh, well, who are you then? <laughs> we would get a good laugh because I don't think they expected us to respond to nobody's home. But it just reminded me that, you know, through the long days where we walked all day, we biked all day, knocked on doors all day, we managed to laugh. We managed to have fun. I had fun on my mission. You know, we followed the rules, but we also just had a blast. I made lifelong friends with my companions and other missionaries that I served with. And for the most part of my mission, it was a really happy time of my life. Well, that's about it for today's show. If you or someone you know has served a mission and you think that they would be a fun guest for the show, please contact me at goyeforthpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please subscribe so that you're notified when new episodes come out. And we would also appreciate it if you would rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. And I understand that you can actually rate the show now on Spotify as well. I hope you enjoy some of Garth Smith's music now. And until next time, wax strong in the gospel, my friends. <laughs>